open up to Romans chapter 12. I'm not going to speak very long today. I just want to encourage you in some things. I want to encourage our baptismal candidates. Before we read the passage there, a couple things you do need to know. Uh, The first is that our Spanish ministry is celebrating uh, their 10th anniversary today. 10 years of ministry uh, for our Spanish ministry. And so they're going to be celebrating today. And we want to encourage you to come back. Uh, You can go out and grab something to eat after this service and come right back 2 p.m., I'm going to be sharing the word. My wife is going to be taking that and, and turning it into the heavenly language. So English or Spanish, and come on out and, and let's celebrate together uh, the faithfulness of God. I was also told by Elder Joe that today is the last day to sign up for the Valentine's banquet. So for you procrastinators, this is your moment, okay? Get out there and, and sign up. It always fills up, um, but we're thankful for the opportunity to minister to, to couples uh, around Valentine's, all right? Um, Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 16. Again, I want to read the text. I want to share a couple of thoughts with you. Uh, this passage is for everyone in the room, but especially for our baptismal candidates today. Romans 12, 16, Paul writes, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible, So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. May God bless the reading of his word. As Paul writes to the believers in Rome, he encourages them, first of all, to live in harmony with one another. I said a few weeks ago, as a church, we are are called to unity, but not uniformity. We are are unified around our faith in Jesus Christ, but we don't all look the same. We don't all have the same giftings in the kingdom. We've all been granted certain spiritual gifts, and each one of those gifts is necessary to build up the body, build up the church. And, And that's the idea with the word harmony. Understand today, disunity happens when we have differences that divide us. But harmony, do you know that? Harmony speaks of differences as well. There are many different parts to a harmony. Those of you that are musical, you know this. It's, a harmony is made of many different parts that, that sound good together. In his letter to the Philippian church, Paul addresses two women in the church who had been at odds. I know that never happens in the church today, but there was these two women that were arguing and It doesn't really tell us what the issue was. The real issue for Paul was there was a lack of harmony in the church. You see, the beautiful thing about the church is our unity, not our uniformity. But because we are different, let's be honest, sometimes there's a little tension. Scripture says iron sharpens iron, but when iron hits iron, how many of you know there's usually sparks, right? And so Paul would say, whatever the issue is, get over it and live in harmony with each other. It's the same for all the couples in the house. Today, you are called to unity, not uniformity. If there's tension, get over it and return to harmony. You don't have to play the same note as your spouse. You just have to sound good together, all right? In the church, in our marriages, there are bound to be differences. And can I just say there are certain things worth fighting for. We should always stand for the truth of God's word. I'll fight for this all day long. But there are other things that are a matter of preference or opinion. And so don't always insist on your own way. Paul says, do not be haughty. Don't be 
proud, but associate with the lowly. We talked about this two weeks ago, right? When we spoke about spiritual gifts, the first exhortation from Paul was, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Understand, if we're operating in the flesh, the flesh will always want to be exalted. But a life lived in the spirit is a life of humility. A life lived in the spirit, it actually allows us to to see our own faults and see our own weaknesses and thank God for that because it keeps us humble. And know this today, that God doesn't use you because you have no weaknesses. He uses you in spite of your weaknesses. Even Paul himself, he had a thorn in the flesh, right? Great men of God through the ages have been used by God despite their weaknesses. Jacob had a limp. Moses didn't speak too well. Gideon lacked confidence. It's, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that God uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. When you know you're foolish, when you're aware of your weaknesses, you're in a good place because that's where God can use you. And so don't be haughty. Don't be prideful. Pride would tell you that you only want to be seen with certain people. Pride would tell you you need to post those selfies with the rich and famous, right? But Romans tells us we should associate with the lowly. That could be translated as we ought to give ourselves to humble tasks. Listen, don't look to be around people that will just give you status. Don't look to just do things that will gain you recognition. Don't look to to do things that will uh, lift you up in the sight of others. Instead, associate with others, those that others would ignore. And, And do things with a heart to serve. Hear me, whether anybody sees you or not, your heavenly Father is watching, and that's the sign of a true believer. For those of you getting baptized today, when you say Jesus is your Savior, understand the reason that you can say that is because he came, first of all, to serve you by dying on the cross. He, he bore the sin. He bore the penalty for sin that you and I deserve. And so if you are following Christ, then you are not too important to serve. You're not too important to take out the trash or to clean up after someone who, who leaves a mess. If you want to be like Christ, when you see a need, respond to the need. Don't ask, well, is, is, is this beneath me? Don't ask that. Instead, Scripture says, associate with the lowly. You know, the, the world looks on that word lowly with disdain, but as a Christian, it's something you should seek after. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 20 that the last shall be first. And hear me, I'd rather go to the back of the line and let God promote me in his time than to fight to be up front and to be in the spotlight. (laughs) And you know how you go there? You go there by service. And I said it before, service in the church is a very spiritual act because you are never more like Christ than when you serve. And so Paul writes this, he says, never be wise in your own sight. It's the tendency of our flesh to think we're wise, right? Our, our flesh will tell us that we always have the best ideas. But if we're going to love as Christ has called us to love, we need to give opportunity for others' opinions and suggestions. When I counsel with couples, I always encourage them that conflict is a good thing. Conflict is a good thing because it means you're not alone, right? When you were single, when you were by yourself, you did whatever you thought was the best, but then you get married and there is a whole different perspective, right? Sometimes it's a very different perspective. And so when there's that difference of perspective, and when you have conflict, you have two choices. You can either be prideful and you can get upset and you can insist on your own way, or you can be humble enough to admit that your spouse just might have a better perspective. Hear me, conflict is a good thing, because now it means you have two sets of eyes looking at a situation, not just one. 
You have two perspectives, not just one. And of course, if Christ is at the center of your relationship, then you realize that you can take that thing to prayer, humbly realizing that maybe neither one of you have the right answer. But you know this, there's a third set of eyes that's looking at the situation, and he knows all things, amen? Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. What Paul is saying is is that just because someone wrongs you, that doesn't justify you doing the same to them. I'm I'm sure you've heard it said before, two two wrongs don't make a right, but three lefts do. Think about that. If you look back at what we talked about last week, some of the exhortations from Paul earlier in this chapter, they kind of all begin to overlap here. In fact, all of these things could come under the exhortation from verse 9 to let love be genuine. And so the exhortation is not only don't repay evil for evil, but at the same time, give thought to do what's honorable. Here's why. Because we are all witnesses of Jesus Christ. And if we return evil with evil, just think about what that does to your testimony. But if instead you can look at the life of Jesus and you say, well, how would God have me to react, right? How, would, how did Jesus act when he was accused? Well, we know this, he spoke the truth and he forgave. I, I think we need to do the same. Yes, we speak the truth, but we extend forgiveness. And then he says this, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I love the fact that that Paul adds these conditions. He says, if possible, (laughs) and so far as it depends on you. Because the truth is, sometimes it's not possible. Just be real, okay? Sometimes there will be a lack of peace because others will not agree with the truth of God's word. It's amazing when you look at sin in any society, there's usually this pattern that sin is tolerated and then is accepted and then it's celebrated. And as that progression takes place, there is a greater demand upon you to compromise the truth. This is why, church, we need to be careful not to tolerate sin because what we tolerate today will be asked to accept tomorrow and what we accept will soon be called to celebrate. Understand, it's no longer enough in our society that you would tolerate certain sins. It's not even enough that you would accept them. Now you're called to celebrate them. If you look at our nation, that's where we are, right? It used to be, why can't you just tolerate this? Why can't you just leave people alone and do what they want to do? But now it's become you need to celebrate this. That's why we live in a nation that takes one day to celebrate mothers, one day to celebrate fathers, one day to celebrate our veterans, hello, but a whole month to celebrate pride. Why? Because the demand is that sin must now be celebrated. There are many today that you will insist that you call their sin acceptable in order for them to accept you. And so what do we do with that? How do we respond? Well, I'll say this first of all, we love them anyway. In fact, the way that we love them is, not, is by not compromising on truth. 1 Corinthians 13.6 says this, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with what? Rejoices with the truth. Love, love does not lie. Love does not encourage someone to keep going down a road that's leading to destruction. This is why I, I believe that we can expect an ever-increasing conflict with the world. I said last week that the highest virtue of our culture today is the virtue of tolerance. Our, our world insists that you should never, ever judge another's behavior as being right or wrong, but we know this, that the word of God is what judges what's right and wrong. It's the word of God that gives us a clear understanding of what is right and what is wrong in order to lead us into all that God has for us. And and when we have that understanding, when we begin to understand that, we recognize that sin destroys. 
Sin destroys and therefore love will not compromise. Love will not hold back from warning a person about what is harmful to them. I do think though it's important how we do this. We are called to speak the truth in love. Instead of declaring turn or burn, we can speak the love of God. We can talk about his plan, which ultimately leads to flourishing. It is only the truth of God that leads someone to a place of repentance, and it's only the love of Christ that's going to win someone's heart. And so we need both truth and love. Amen? Verse 19, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. When someone wrongs us, it's the old nature that says, I'm going to get them back. I'm going to show them. I'm going to get even, right? But the thought of getting even shouldn't even be in the mind of a Christian. Let me ask this. What if Jesus needed to get even with you? Like, what would that look like? It's a scary thought. And so we are called to bless our enemies. We are called to bless those who persecute us. But, but you cannot bless your enemies if you're thinking about vengeance. And so instead of seeking vengeance, leave it to the one who knows what that individual really needs. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. God knows what that person that wronged you, he knows exactly what they need. And he's the only one that can save them or give them what they deserve if they do not repent. The Lord knows perfectly how to forgive or how to repay. Why? Because he actually knows the heart. And because of this, when someone wrongs us, Man, think about how freeing that is. We can leave it to God. We can let go of that thing because we know that God is the only righteous judge. He's the only one that sees things rightly. Verse 20, to the contrary, he says, here's what you should do. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, Paul is quoting a verse here from Proverbs chapter 25 And it's really a reminder that the Old Testament is the source of many of these exhortations or these encouragements. Now, there's two different opinions on the interpretation of this passage in Proverbs. One interpretation is that if you're gracious to your enemy, if you respond kindly to them when they wrong you, then they're going to be convicted and they're going to have this deep sense of guilt. And we like that, right? That sounds good to me. I'm heaping hot coals. We say, I'm going to kill them with kindness. Emphasis on kill, right? But I don't think that's what's being said here. You see, the context would actually give us a different interpretation. Remember this when you read the scripture, context matters, okay? Often in the Hebrew, they would take a phrase and they would say that phrase and then they would repeat it in another way, but with the same meaning. And so he's saying, if your enemy's hungry, give him food. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Now, what about the coals part? Well, in that time, if the fire went out in your house, if the fire went out uh, on, the, on the stove, you uh, would go, generally go to your neighbor's house and ask them for some coals. Now, some coals from their fire. Now, remember, this is before lighters. This is before lighter fluid, right? And so you would go into their house, and, and you would ask them for some coals off of their fire so that you could restart the fire in your house. Now, if they only gave you a few coals, those coals might die out before you got them back home, right? And your neighbor would know this, and so if they were a generous neighbor, they would heap hot coals into a container that you would carry home on your head. Now that seems to make more sense to me. So feed your enemy, give them something to drink, and heap hot coals on their head so that they can go home and start a fire. Basically, you're, you're giving your enemy dinner by a fire. That's what you're doing, right? 
Look at verse 21. I, I want to close with this verse, and we're going to move to a time of baptism shortly. But I want to challenge especially those of you who are getting baptized today to memorize this verse. There in verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. As you take the step of baptism today, as you declare Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you first of all need to make a commitment not to be conformed to the pattern of this world. And what that means is you're not going to react when you're wronged the same way that the world reacts when they're wronged. And here's what you'll find as you continue on your journey with Christ, that the Christian life is really all about relationships. The Christian life is not meant to be lived in isolation. The Christian life is all about relationships, and that is where our biggest tests will actually take place. Those who are closest to you will likely bring you the most joy, but they'll also cause you the most pain. But how you respond, how you do life with others will be the biggest test to whether you're walking by the Spirit of God. And, and so I want to encourage you all, memorize Romans 12, 21. It's easy. Romans 1, 2, 2, 1, right? Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now the word overcome in the Greek is, is an amazing word. It's the word nekao. And it means to, to conquer. It means to come away victorious. And what Paul is saying is don't let evil conquer you. Don't let evil come away victorious. Paul is writing to the church in Rome. He's writing to a church that is under tremendous persecution. I mean, we live in dark days, but I, I think those days were even darker. Evil was visible. It was, it was tangible. The, the, the church was under great persecution and, and tribulation. Again, we live in, in some dark days. And so I, I believe in the, in the same way we need to be aware of what's happening in the world around us. I don't think as Christians that we should just stick our head in the sand and say, I, I don't see it, right? We, we need to be aware of what's happening in our culture so that we know how to pray, so that we know how to respond, so we know how to speak God's word into this culture. But sometimes, as we look at the evil in the world around us, how many of you ever feel overwhelmed? I'm raising my hand. Sometimes it can feel like, man, this is, this is, this is just too much, right? It, it can feel like, like evil's winning the day, like evil's over, overcoming us. And when that happens, we can have this escapist mentality, like, man, Jesus, just get me out of here, right? I want to sing that song, I'll fly away, oh glory, right? Get me out of here, Jesus. But the encouragement for the church in Rome, and, and I believe it's the same encouragement for the church today, is that as dark as things may get, we do not need to be discouraged. We do not need to allow evil to win the victory in our mind. Instead, understand we are called to overcome evil with good. When you think about it on a personal level, can I just say it's just as powerful? Do not be overcome by evil. Man, I, I see it all the time. I, I hear the stories when I counsel with people who were wronged many years ago. Maybe it was a, a parent who abused them 20, 30 years ago, and they can't let go of that thing. Maybe it was a friend that did them wrong, that betrayed them, and they just can't let it go. Maybe it was a, a spouse that abused them, that caused them pain, and, and there's bitterness that's evident. It's still there, and, and they're literally being overcome by that thing, and because bitterness has taken root, they, they've never really forgiven they haven't released that wrong. Instead, they're overcome by the evil that was done to them. It's ruining. It's destroying their life. Listen to me. If you want to hang on to wrongs done to you, if you can't let go of that thing because you have this great need to get even, hear me, you might get in the last word. You might be able to throw the last punch. You might hurt that person more than they hurt you, but I promise you this, in the process, it's going to kill you on the inside. 
It's going to kill you on the inside. I see it happen all the time. Why? Because God's word is true and his principles are true. In your own life, in your personal life, do not be overcome by evil. Don't let evil control you. Don't let it define you. Don't let it enslave you. Don't let it make you bitter. Don't let that thing determine who you are today or who you're going to be in Christ. Instead, overcome evil with good. How do we do that? By repaying evil with good. Now hear me, I said it last week, I know that's not a light thing. This is in no way an easy thing to do. That's why it's only those who are made strong by the power of the Holy Spirit that could actually live out the Christian life. It's only those who are empowered by the Holy Spirit because in and of yourself, I'm included in this, we're weak, right? But true believers in Christ, they don't just talk the talk, by the power of the Holy Spirit they walk the walk. They don't just show up to church when it's convenient. Well, I slept well last night. It's, the sun is shining. I got nothing to do. Let's go, right? True believers don't just show up when it's convenient and throw a tip in the offering basket. True believers actually live out the things that Jesus said to do. But that only happens as you are strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to encourage you, church, take that verse and memorize it. Put it deep down in your heart because the Christian life is, is not all about rainbows and sunshine, in fact, Jesus gave his followers some promises. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have tribulation. That's a promise. Put that on a coffee mug, right? But then he also says this. Don't miss this. He says, but take heart. I have nikao. <laughs> I have overcome the world. You see, the reason you and I should not be overcome by evil, the reason that evil done to us should not conquer us or be victorious in our lives, it's because Jesus has conquered all of the evil that we will face. He is victorious, and if you and I, if we remain in him, we will share in that victory. And so take that verse and let it guide your life. Again, get it in your mind so the Holy Spirit can bring it to remembrance. When you're, when you're tempted to take matters into your own hands, let the Holy Spirit bring that to your mind. When you're tempted to hang on to offenses, let that verse speak to you today. Because in this life that you're committing to in Christ, it is a life of, we talked about agape love. It is agape love towards others. It's a life of looking past the faults of others and seeing the value that God sees in them. I always say this, be as patient with others as God was with you. It's also a life of brotherly love. It's brotherly love. I love Sunday mornings. I love when we get together as the family of God. It's brotherly love. And as a part of the family here at Grace Point, I want to challenge you. I don't care how new you are to the faith. Outdo others in this place by showing them honor, right? When we talk about agape love and and, and brotherly love, phileo love, understand this, your flesh is going to challenge both of those loves at every turn. But as you rely on the Spirit of God, as you walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh, God's Spirit will empower you, I believe this, to rise above the flesh as long as you yield your life to Him. I was listening to the testimonies this week. I got a, a preview, a sneak preview of all these testimonies. And many of the stories seem to be stories where lives were being overcome by evil, and that evil can take on many forms. It can be addiction, it can be abuse, but I thank God today that as these candidates stand in the water of baptism, their testimony is that evil has not overcome. Evil has not overcome. By the grace of God, by the grace of God, good has won out. And so now you're called to, to go on 
and, and overcome evil, not in your own strength, not in your own power, but with the good that you've received. And so I want to commission our baptismal candidates. I want to commission all of you, wherever you are, overcome evil with good. Overcome wrong done against you with forgiveness. Even when others don't want peace, you seek peace. And can I just tell you, this will be your testimony. This will be a sign of Christ's power at work in your life. And so as our first candidate gets into the tank, amen, as our first candidate takes their place in the tank, I want to pray for all of you this morning that God would empower you to live out this life that he's called us to live. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your word. Lord, we thank you today, Lord Jesus, that you have overcome. Lord God, you have won the victory. And so we know this, Lord, that if we are in you, we have the victory as well. Lord, I thank you for each person taking this step of baptism today. Lord God, as they go down in the the waters of baptism, they are declaring that they've died to that old self, that, that old nature is put to death. And Lord, they are being raised to new life in you. And so, Lord, we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would give us individually and you would give us as your church the power to live as you've called us to live. Lord, we recognize these things are are weighty things. They're challenging things. But Lord, we thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit at work in our lives. Lord, today we surrender once again to you and say, have your way. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room right now Holy Spirit, maybe you're highlighting something that they've been hanging on to. Lord, whether it's that that root of bitterness that's growing up, Lord, I pray they would release it to you right now. Lord, they would release it to you right now and they receive, Lord God, your peace and your presence. Lord, we thank you today again for these testimonies we're about to hear together. Lord, testimonies of your goodness and your grace overcoming sin in our lives, overcoming evil in our lives. Lord God, we thank you for who you are. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to rejoice together in what you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can turn your attention to the screen for the first testimony.